Hi, it's Emma from the Jack FM News team. In this podcast, we'll be covering everything from the impact of coronavirus on A-level results day in Oxfordshire to a book club created by Oxford researchers in response to more people reading during lockdown. Firstly, though, testing for coronavirus is constantly making the headlines. But with the Jack FM News team, that's Joe Summerbell, Alex Meakin and myself, having worked throughout the pandemic and not being tested, we jumped at the opportunity for one of us to this week. That's because a pop-up test centre came to a location in South Oxfordshire, so Alex went along to find out if he has any coronavirus antibodies. Here's his report. I'm here at Didcot Town Football Club where Biograd have set up their pop-up test centre. You can pre-book and come down, you fill out a form, you pay about 30 quid and they take a finger prick's worth of blood. Margaret is one of the nurses here. She's talked me through how it works. So usually we ask them to book online so they can book through the company, the Biograd um, website. Um, They're given an appointment slot. They come down. We ask them then to, with all the social distancing and, you know, sort of hand cleaning and everything, we ask them to fill a form in. And that just gives us some background knowledge on what, if there's anything um, medically that we would need to know, um, more around sort of medication for thinning the blood, obviously. We are doing a finger prick, so we're not actually doing intravenous. We're doing a finger prick. Um, So we usually ask them to fill in a form and then we take them into one of our sort of testing bays. Um, They're sat down and we then do the finger prick. Um, It takes roughly probably a few minutes. Um, And then it's tested on, on a sort of on a little cartridge and it's an instant we time it for 10 minutes and we have a lady who is a biochemist here who will read she reads the results after 10 minutes so the people then don't have to wait so we are actually doing a one in one out you know sort of way in way out um and after 10 minutes um that the results are, are are read to see whether they've got any of the antibodies in their system and then they're emailed usually within half an hour they are emailed and it gives them that it's an indication if they have been in contact. Some people have had symptoms, some people haven't. Um, And it is very much at the moment, obviously, they're still understanding the COVID situation. So we go, we follow, obviously, the guidelines that for for any protocols or policies that we need to. I think people are wanting to, you know, sort of to find out a bit more um, as to whether they have, obviously, even if you've got the antibodies, because it's such a sort of an, an area that we are all moving into and they're not quite sure how long the antibodies last for, whether there's a second wave coming. Um, but I think generally the people are sort of, it's something for their for their, you know, for their information and knowledge. So I've been tested, it was painless, and my results have come back negative for COVID-19 antibodies. So what does that mean? Well, very little, as has been the case through this pandemic. There's so much we still don't know. It could mean I had antibodies and they went. It could mean I was never in contact with anyone with COVID-19. Even if I'd been positive, the NHS says antibodies don't make you immune and can't tell you if you can still spread the virus. Realistically, all tests like this can offer at very best is short-term peace of mind. Head over to our Twitter page at JackFM News to check out a video of Alex getting his coronavirus antibodies test. He used to work in telly too, so it's actually quite a decent watch. Now, for many students and families in Oxfordshire, this week has been all about A-levels. The way grades were calculated had to change after exams were cancelled because of lockdown 
And as the results came out, it was revealed that thousands of pupils have had their results downgraded. In England, exam boards marked down two in five grades, which were originally set by teachers. And because of COVID, results day was done virtually for many. Joe from News caught up with Stephen Oliver, principal of Our Lady School in Abingdon, just before results day, to find out what it would be like. It's been very different um, in terms of thinking about how we set up the results day, because I know some schools have decided not to have the students coming into school at all, but we very much wanted to have that um, contact with them. So we've um, set up a system where they can come in and it's looking like the weather's going to be good. So we, we're going to do it outside if at all possible and we'll have a desk and they can line up with social distancing. They can still bring a parent and still collect the result personally. So we've done everything we can really to try and make it like it normally is given the current um, conditions. And remind us how the whole kind of build-up has been different as well, with obviously lockdown meaning cancelled exams and, and what that meant for deciding on the official grades. Yeah, I mean, very different uh, indeed. I mean, obviously the um, the year 11 and the upper six students hadn't weren't in last term at all, so they had all the um, remote teaching going on, so we, we had to finish um, their courses remotely. Now, that went uh, really well, so we're very happy with that, as were the students. Uh, and then after that, we put in our own um, remote program called Learning Journeys to give them to give them something really to engage with in, in, in the end of term. And they were very appreciative to have something provided uh, that was of interest in terms of preparing for university uh, and also um, preparing for the lower six. So we, you know, there was a lot of engagement from the point of view of the remote teaching learning right across last term. Uh, but obviously, the really hard thing was working out the grade. And that was a very thorough process, heads of department going through lots of material to come up with the centre assessment grade before it was finally uh, signed off and sent to the exam board. So a very, very different process um, from what uh, would normally have happened, because uh, obviously normally they would have been in sitting their exams. And have students sort of said to you at all that they're worried because it's being done differently, what that will mean for their grades and what they'd sort of hoped and expected? Yeah, I mean, clearly there are concerns amongst the students as to how this uh, process will work through, especially as there have been a lot of reports in the media about the, the government using various models to um, produce these uh, results. So what we've got to hope for is that on Thursday, this week and next week, they're going to get results that reflect their ability and the work they've put in. Uh, and obviously we have our view as to what those grades um, should be. Um, and uh, we're very much hoping that um, they, they won't be altered as, as are the students. Of course. And the day itself, yeah. as well as being, I'm sure, a nerve-wracking day, I know it's an exciting day as well, isn't it? And are you hoping mm. that the kind of new social distancing measures won't take away from that at all? Yeah, hoping that that will be the case. Um, but inevitably, uh, because of the distancing, there won't be so much of the hugging and uh, general sort of rejoicing that we normally get uh, on the day. But, um, you know, I, I felt when, when, for instance, when we had pupils back at uh, last term in some of the year groups in our in our junior school, it was um, amazing actually how normal it seems. So maybe um, maybe Thursday will be more normal than than we think it is.
I chatted to Helen Hall from Oxford Brooks ahead of results day as well. She's the recruitment director at the uni and told me they're aware it's been a difficult time during the pandemic, which will be taken into consideration. This year has been obviously full of unprecedented challenges for many people. And at, at Oxford Brooks, at the beginning of lockdown, our teaching and support staff made huge efforts to ensure that we could move to really high quality online teaching. And that was available to all of our students so they could complete their academic year. All of our students also undertook uh, online exams and assessments to complete the year. And we were able to provide all of our students with access to our student support services, our wellbeing services online throughout all of that. So since then, we've also been working really hard to make sure that plans are in place for September as well and keeping our students up to date with that. How are you feeling about the exam results? Do you have any concerns? So we're obviously aware this has been a really uncertain time for students who are waiting to receive their uh, awarded grades. We've been working closely with teachers who've been going through their predicted grades uh, submission and we've also run some webinars for our applicants. Uh, so we've got a good understanding of how students are feeling. We'll be accepting awarded grades as we would in any other year. Um, but we'll also be making sure that we show flexibility where we can to individuals who may have been affected by the pandemic and might have just missed out on their conditions. So we'd encourage any uh, student who is holding an offer from Oxford Brooks to check UCAS track and to get in touch with us if they've got any concerns. And you mentioned about welfare support as well. What kind of support have you been offering then? Um, so throughout all of this, although many of our students returned home and we completed all of our teaching online, we've also had many of our students continue to access our support services. So that might be anything through to the disability support that we put in place or counselling services or our academic support. So we've been using online meetings like many of us have been adapting to um, and also making the most of all of the online materials and the online guides that we already provide for our students. What what changes can students expect in September? Yeah, well, we know that uh, either returning to university or starting university is always a time of great change. And this year, that's going to be more the case than ever. So our campuses are going to be as open as possible. We'll be delivering our teaching face-to-face -face where possible, but that will be done in a safe and COVID-secure way. And we'll then be supplementing that with online teaching where that's necessary. So all of our services, including the library, wellbeing, disability services, will have social distancing measures in place. And students will be able to use a combination of online appointments but also pre-booked face-to-face appointments where that's appropriate. In terms of clearing then, what support is available? How are you reaching out to students? Well, because we know it's been an uncertain year, we've got more support for our applicants in place than ever. So uh, on Thursday, we'll have 150 of our colleagues ready to answer the phones, um, to answer all of the questions and hopefully make offers to students who are wishing to apply to Brooks. But also online, uh, you can chat to our current students. Uh, you can uh, get advice from our staff, admission staff about how to apply, but also the kind of support services that I've mentioned. Um, on the 12th and 13th, we're also running webinars. We've got virtual campus tours and Q&As. So lots of information to support students who might not have been able to visit Oxford Brooks because of the pandemic. Over at Abingdon and Whitney College, results were sent in the post. Jenny Craig, the vice principal, told us that just over 30% of students got the equivalent of three A's and everyone who applied to uni got in. But with youth unemployment expected to soar post-lockdown, she says they're developing additional courses for students who are finding it difficult getting a job.
there is an uncertain jobs market at the moment, and certainly um, we are developing additional courses, etc., purely for those students who who wanted perhaps to go into the jobs market are finding it difficult, and so are, are choosing a really positive route to, to come back into further education, enhance their CV, develop more skills and knowledge, perhaps gain additional qualifications, so that when the jobs market does pick up, they will be absolutely well placed to, to gain that, that important job for them. Have your students, any of them sort of told you that they are worried about getting a job in the future and whether the jobs are going to be out there for them, you know, in the careers that they want? Or have you been able to kind of reassure them on that front? We have been able to reassure them. We've spent a lot of time supporting our students um, through this uncertain time. Um, mostly online, obviously, and, and doing sort of virtual careers, interviews, etc., with them and providing that, that guidance. And I think because there are so many different options and, you know, a, a really positive option is, is to come into further education to, to enhance your skills and knowledge. And that will mean that you're so much better prepared for when the jobs market does pick up. Absolutely. Uh, and just finally, how are things looking for September and are you looking forward to hopefully having everyone back? Really looking forward to, to seeing students again. Um, it's, it's always a very strange time during the summer because schools and colleges feel very quiet and it's just not the same without the students. Um, of course, we, we didn't close. Um, we remained open all throughout lockdown for our vulnerable students. Um, but we're re really gearing up for September now. We'll be welcoming all of our students back. For some of them, their courses will be a mixture of online and on campus, depending on the types of courses. But we're following government government guidance. We're risk assessing all activities. Um, we've got one-way systems. Um, we've reduced the, the capacity of some of our classrooms. Um, so we are confident that we'll be able to welcome students back to a, a safe environment um, and confident that we're doing everything we can to keep our staff and students safe in September. That was Jenny Craig, the Vice Principal of Abingdon and Whitney College, speaking about A-Level Results Day. Also this week, Oxfordshire County Council revealed how it's proposing to put some projects on hold and delay replacing diesel vehicles in the fire service to help manage a black hole of £16 million. It's overspent by £51 million because of the coronavirus and despite some government funding, it still needs to balance the budget. Ian Hudspeth, the leader of the council, told me some savings have been made during the pandemic there. Oxfordshire County Council's facing an increase because we've spent an additional £51 million on top of what we thought we'd be spending this year. And that causes a problem for us because we hadn't budgeted for it and we've got to find the money somewhere because, like all councils across the country, we have to deliver a balanced budget at year-end. The government have given us £35 million worth of funding for additional things. However, that does leave a balance and we've got to make up that balance if we are to deliver a balanced budget by the end of the year. How are you proposing to find that £16 million? <coughs> uh, we're proposing to uh, find the, the additional £16 million by delaying some of the things that we're going to do this year and to next year. Uh, but there's some savings that have actually been... Uh, Part of the experience of COVID, for instance, we've saved £300,000 on our utility bills, £400,000 on travelling and printing and other associated expenses. Uh, and then because we've actually been working with our colleagues in the NHS to discharge people 
to their homes rather than to a care home, that's also savings for us. So there's lots of things that have been positive. However, we do have to balance the books, and it does mean that we've got to find this additional savings. And a lot of it is by looking at some of the small areas and just to see what we can do differently, working with our colleagues. But more importantly, what we're always focused on is making sure that we're still able to deliver the services for our residents should they need it. And one of the key things that uh, we're all aware of is that if there is a second spike, what does that mean? We've got to have the resources available because when we started this process at the beginning of the year, of course, the primary function was to make sure that people were supported. We, for instance, gave a 10% uplift to care home and care home providers so that they could have the additional certainty of knowing the funds would be there so they could be providing that vital care. But, of course, there has been an expense. And if there is to be a second spike that some people say that will happen, we need to make sure we're in the best possible financial situation to protect our residents. In the press release, it mentions about youth services and you're planning to save, I think, £175,000. What will that mean then for young people? Well, this was something that we're going to be investigating and looking at, and it's actually delaying the programme rather than... So there won't be any difference this year, and that's one of the themes that has happened across many departments where we were planning to implement uh, a particular programme or we were looking to see what programmes we could deliver. And in that particular case, we're going to investigate to see what services were required and what would be needed. And so actually there's no change to the service delivery at the moment. It just means it will be that our proposal to look at it will be delayed by a year. What's going to be happening regarding children's social care? Children's social care, we were planning on spending £309,000 on implementing a new strategy, but because of COVID-19, we're unable to deliver, change that strategy at the moment, so we're using that savings so that we can actually deliver it at a later date, and we will be implementing it, but it does mean the savings at the moment because we haven't been able to deliver that. So will you be reducing that team and how many by? Uh, we, we won't be reducing that team. It'll be carrying on as it is at the moment. Uh, but when we come to implement the new system, we'll be making the appropriate changes then. Ian Hudspeth, the leader of Oxfordshire County Council there. Next, we're going to hear from Hayley Beargamage, who's the CEO of Experience Oxfordshire, which promotes what's on in the county. We had a good chat with her about all things coronavirus and tourism related, starting off with face mask rules being extended last weekend. Here she is chatting to Jo. Gosh, the, the ongoing mask um, saga changing is a really interesting one, isn't it? You know, do you wear one, don't you wear one? Where do you have to wear it? When do you not have to wear it? And it, it's managed to confuse everyone, I think it's fair to say, is the first bit in terms of both the, con- the consumers and businesses. Um, and I think initially, and particularly when you look at what happened to retail, you know, when that opened up and then people were told they had to wear masks, there was a bit of a dip because it was something that they hadn't had to do before. I think, let's face it, unless we're out doors at the minute or unless you know it's food and beverage related I think the norm is wearing a mask for the foreseeable future and I think the minute something starts to feel normal um, I think 
general consumer confidence, they become less risk adverse. Um, I think the challenge of places, um, not just like the Ashmolean, but any of the indoor attractions that are opening up, is obviously they're running to reduced capacities. So it's more going to be the management of that, I think, that's the challenge, because I think the people which are coming out and want to do things are the ones which are prepared to do things and they will wear the mask is whether there is going to be enough supply for the demand that's out there because we're trying to encourage everybody to come back out again and enjoy these wonderful things and have great experiences across the city and the county but actually we are offering much more limited capacity than we ever have done before people have to book ahead more generally they've got to make sure they book their place so they're not disappointed so i think that's going to be one of the major challenges you know attractions um trying to manage people that just turn up and haven't followed the the booking procedures and advice like you say you are encouraging people to come out and and spend and stay here and that probably brings us nicely into your opening up Oxfordshire campaign it's been running a few weeks now hasn't it yes it has absolutely and I think you know very much why we went for opening up Oxfordshire is because we are really aware that not everything is open Um, and it'd be really disingenuous to the consumer to say you know come back everything is open you're going to have the same experience opening up Oxfordshire says you know look you know what the city and the county is starting to reopen again we want to engage with you and we want you to come back and, and be part of the, the city and the county's culture. So as part of that campaign we've got a hashtag opening up Ox and what we're trying to do is across all social media platforms um, businesses are getting involved they're using that hashtag to show that they're open we're asking consumers to follow that hashtag and um, to look for where they're going and um, it's all about planning your visit. We've got um, a page on our website experienceoxfordshire.org which signposts to know before you go to advise it the consumer and the customer everything that they should do before deciding on where they're going to go to visit to make sure it's open and what they have to do to enjoy it. The other thing that's also great is um, so many places across Oxfordshire have become We're Good To Go accredited. So that is the Visit England accreditation which shows businesses have gone through a self-assessment scheme whereby they are following all of the government guidance. I wanted to get your thoughts as well on local lockdowns. Not to say, you know, that's anything that might happen here, but it's a possibility, obviously, if the cases could spike. So I wondered what you thought if Oxford did have to lock back down again, even if it was in a small way with people having to sort of stay indoors, but, you know, maybe restaurants and businesses can stay open. What do you think it would do? Could we cope? I just think it's it's another level of unknown, isn't it, which is what it's been throughout this whole COVID pandemic. And you just don't know what you're dealing with. Um, I think if there was another lockdown, I think it would be catastrophic, is the honest answer, because businesses are just starting to rebuild. Um, Not many businesses, and I'm talking obviously specifically in terms of tourism and hospitality sector here, not many are making money. They are are just open so that they can start to recover. And if we went back into lockdown, um, unless it was a very short period of time, there would need to be a significant amount of support to get everything back open again. And I think the flip side of that is, We've seen consumer confidence much slower than we thought. You know, I think we all expected as lockdown lifted, everybody would be desperate to, to go out and see and do things. And that has been much slower because of all the safety precautions that people are having to take and the uncertainty of the rules. So if we lock down again, it, it would massively put us back. Um, and I think the key really is let's hope that the general public all behave appropriately so that doesn't happen because the key to not having another lockdown is that we all follow the rules and if everybody follows the rules then that's going to be better for all of us going forward Um, but that absolutely is, is the challenge that we do have. 
hopefully what's been going on in Aberdeen and other places is enough to kind of threaten us, like you say, to, to be good and do what we're told. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's a really stark warning, isn't it? And I mean, it's not a threat. It's been implemented. It's been actioned. Um, so that shows what the government are willing to do to try and contain this and make sure that, you know, that the pandemic doesn't, you know, reestablish itself to the extremes that it did beforehand. That was Haley Beagamage, the CEO of Experience Oxfordshire. On to some positive news for culture lovers in Oxfordshire now. That's because a much-loved museum in Oxford opened its doors again after coronavirus forced it to close for almost five months. The Ashmolean Museum has a load of COVID-19 safety measures in place and Dr Jar Sturgis, the director of the museum, told me it's great to welcome people back. We're outside here, the doors haven't quite opened, but there's a queue forming and so it's just fantastic to see people coming back into the museum again after months and months. And have all these people today had to book then? Yes, so uh, we're open as usual, but obviously usual is a bit different now. So um, visitors have to book in advance. They don't have to pay uh, unless they're going to our wonderful Rembrandt exhibition, of course, which I'm very happy to stay, say is still here. So we managed to hold on to that exhibition after we closed. And so it's going to run for another 12 weeks. But uh, so there are time tickets. There are some one way routes around the museum. But on the whole, I think the experience here will be as it ever has been. So, um, and visitors allowed to explore the whole museum and our extraordinary collections. There is a queuing system on the floor. Can you just talk us through what that looks like and what people are doing? Uh, so at the moment, obviously, they're waiting for the doors to open. And so, yes, we've got the sort of things that people are familiar to see, uh, seeing outside supermarkets and shops. So uh, maintaining social distance. Uh, as you know, the government has now said that face masks are mandatory in museums and other internal spaces so um, and then as I say there are some one-way routes just to allow people to keep their distance more straightforwardly. With the government's um, announcement about masks in museums how did you initially feel about that? Well we uh, so the point about masks is it's something to protect others and so we were always going to ask visitors for the sake of other visitors for the sake of our staff to wear face coverings and so in some ways it's made life simpler for us. And what other measures are in play? So we've got hand sanitizer stations around the museum, we've got additional cleaners on hand to clean things like uh, door handles and handrails um, and there's some limits on uh, numbers really is the key thing so uh, far fewer visitors for example will be able to go to our Rembrandt exhibition but I suppose for those who do manage to go it'll be a really wonderful calm quiet experience. And how long has it taken for you to get to this point of opening today? Uh, well I suppose it's taken a few weeks I mean particularly to get all the signage in place and to work out the systems um, of course we had to wait until we knew that museums were able to reopen and we you know wait with slightly bated breath to see whether we can stay open how do you feel about the future of the museum well these are deeply strange and troubling times I mean it's very uh, the museum depends on visitors for not only for its life and for what it does but also of course for its income and so uh, with visitors very much restricted obviously August is usually teeming with tourists in Oxford and although the streets aren't completely empty it's clearly a much quieter year than usual and so it just remains to be seen I think how quickly or not those visitor numbers build up again but but as far as 
those people who can come now, I think in lots of ways they will have as wonderful and possibly in some instances even more special experience than they had in the past. And with lockdown giving many of us more spare time to get lost in a good book, Oxford Uni experts have started a book club of 10-minute reads to help us concentrate. Here's Dr Alexandra Paddock from the English faculty to tell us more. Okay, so the idea is actually really simple. Um, During lockdown, we noticed that there was a rise in virtual book clubs, but at the same time that people were noticing this huge impact on their ability to concentrate and their energy levels. And what 10-Minute Book Club is, is um, a way of getting at something we think we all need right now, which is the community and escape that reading and talking about reading can give us. But the, the last thing we need is another huge task, like reading a novel. So 10-Minute Book Club is a set of resources for making your own book club where you can get the reading done in 10 minutes. Because what we've done is we've curated a set of excerpts rather than asking people to read the whole novel. Which ones have you started with? What have been the first excerpts that have been put out there? So we actually started um, with an essay collection rather than with a novel, which I think is what most people think of with a book club. Um, We started with W.E.B. Du Bois's The Souls of Black Folk, which uh, is an extraordinary and really powerful collection of essays from the very early 20th century. And that's actually characteristic of all of our texts, which we've chosen to be out of copyright so that we could also share the link to the full text for free. But there's a huge range across them. We have novels, we have uh, autobiography and life writing, uh, we have poetry, we have adaptations, and we also have short stories as well. And the whole thing is going to last for 10 weeks, and we have a different text each week. But what we're hoping is that we can also have a more kind of permanent legacy for these texts. So is it sort of an attitude of putting these bite-sized chunks out there and, and trying to sort of entice people into reading in, during, this, during this period? Absolutely, yes. And the other side of it is that we really want to validate and kind of celebrate what happens when you just read a, a little chunk of a text and the kind of connection that you can feel with something just from reading a page or so. And talking perhaps about a a favourite bit or an exciting bit of the text with people that you connect with. So it's about kind of giving a teaser for the whole text, but it's also about celebrating just a a 10-minute engagement with it as well. We've seen a lot of coverage and a lot of evidence of more book clubs. um, And there's also, there's been an increased look at actually some quite surprising literature, a sort of peak in text to do with pandemics, actually, um, which sort of suggests that people might be turning to reading to um, kind of process some of the things that are going on at the moment. If I want to join, if I want to get involved, if I want to spend 10 minutes reading an excerpt, what do I do? So uh, there's a URL. And that is www.english.ox.ac.uk forward slash 10 minute book club. But if you just go to the Oxford University Faculty of English page and have a look around, 
then you will find it. And it's also easily Googleable if you just look for 10 Minute Book Club. And each week we're going to be tweeting about and releasing a new text. That was Dr. Alexandra Paddock from the English faculty speaking to our journalist, Alex. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Jack's Viral Podcast. Keep up to date with the latest news in Oxfordshire by giving us a follow on Twitter. Just search at Jack FM News.